Welcome to the First Podcast, a podcast of First Baptist Church Lake Butler, where the pastors gather to encourage and equip our church to engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My name is Pastor Jonathan, and I'm joined by Pastor Jason. We're here recording the podcast again, and we are going to tackle the topic of the conscience, about that gift that God has given to all people. And uh, let's just begin with, with maybe just throwing out what the conscience is. All right. I would say maybe a simple definition would be the conscience is the instrument of God wherein we discern good and evil, or to say it another way, the part of the soul that God has made wherein we have the ability to perceive right and wrong. Hmm. So would it be wrong to kind of think of it like kind of a compass within us? No, I think absolutely. Yeah. It'd be good. So less, less of like, you know, there's a red demon on one shoulder, you know, and like an angel on the other shoulder and they're kind of tempting you. This is something that God has given us internally as a gift that helps us live life uh, according to what's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. So where does this come from? How do we know about what the conscience is? Like what is the Bible's description of this uh, very... I mean, it's, it's very like spiritual. It's kind of hard to pin down, but like what, how does the Bible talk about the conscience? Mm-hmm. Well, again, let's just, let's just mention that it is a gift. You know, God has determined for us right and wrong in his perfections and enabled us to be able to know that. And post fall, mm-hmm. as sin has entered in the world, um, our conscience was damaged. And so the Bible says that our Conscience can be in different states now. Right. So you can have what the Bible calls a good conscience, which it's rightly relating to what God has revealed for us um, concerning his laws and commandments. Paul would also mention he has a pure conscience, a conscience void of offense. But then the Bible will go on to talk about a weak conscience, Mm. a seared conscience, and a defiled conscience conscience. So uh, let me mention one other thing and I'll kick it back to you. And um, the word conscience is used 32 times in the New Testament. Hmm. And so what I want our hearers to understand is the conscience is a big deal in our Christian life. Yeah. So it's important to see that the conscience can be at different levels of health. Mm -hmm. It's not just like out of the box. This is something that is always correct, that is, is always the perfect guide to what we should do in a situation. But it is, in general, you know, something that we should be taking seriously. Mm-hmm. So what are um, maybe some good texts to go to that talk about the conscience? And maybe those will kind of help for us uh, guide our discussion. Maybe let's start with how the conscience is renewed mm. in salvation. And so, you know, we're born, we're living life, we're kids, we understand right from wrong. Mm -hmm. We understand that we do wrong. Um, We don't clearly understand when we're doing wrong and right. Sometimes someone else thinks we're wrong. We don't think we are. Sometimes we're dead wrong, but we convince ourselves that we're not. Right. But ultimately, in the work of salvation, God in mercy and grace comes and convicts the conscience. Mm -hmm. You might say for the first time, shows us our wrongness before him, and then graciously reveals the gospel to us. And here's what the Bible says happens when we place our faith in Christ. So 
Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And I'll read one more uh, verse from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, where he says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so our consciences are telling us that we're condemned before God. Mm. Then we hear the gospel and believe. And now Hebrews is saying to us that we, through faith in the blood of Christ and his um, substitutionary death and resurrection for us, our consciences can now be clean, Mm. clear, purged and pure, and we can now see ourselves right with God. Yeah. So before our salvation, we we don't have a conscience that aligns with God's will. Mm-hmm. We're we're often wrong in terms of the choices we make against the law of God, what God would have us do. We're, we're trying to define right and wrong on our terms. So we're saying in scripture, especially those great texts in Hebrews, that, you know, as Paul would say in Titus 2, the washing of regeneration affects when we are saved, even our consciences. Mm. And so the conscience is now renewed and in a state where at least on the big things, it aligns with God. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's good to hit home that the Bible is really where it all comes down to when, when we know what God approves of all of that has to come from and be based on, have its foundation in scripture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when it comes to us being saved and our conscience is being cleared, I think that how it relates to the Bible is probably like the biggest test. If we're reading scripture and we're like, yes, Jesus is Lord. Yes, he's called me to serve the church. Yes, I want to make my life about his glory. That's what's guiding my conscience is because it's really aligning with God's word. And I think it's being proven that he has washed and regenerated us, including our consciences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think that we can experience the conscience as God designed it, Mm -hmm. except through the word. You've got to hear a word of absolute truth to direct the conscience. And it really doesn't hear rightly until it's renewed by the Holy Spirit, and now you can walk in a good conscience, in a clear conscience, because you're able to understand the Word of God and know the Word of God and how He originally designed that we should walk before Him in in fellowship. Yeah. Mm. Now, we've had this washing of regeneration, and the conscience has been made new, and we now hear God's word. We're sheep. We know his voice. Yeah. But we still don't do what that conscience is telling us to do from God's word. Right. We can know it. Mm-hmm. And that's that distinguishes us from the lost world, but we still don't always do it. So how does that kind of play out? Yeah. Well, I think one of the big works that God uses in our life with the conscience is the work of conviction, whereby his spirit, he shows us like, what you just said there was wrong. You shouldn't have done that thing. Or, you know, you talked to your wife in the wrong way. I think there's this kind of like symmetry that God is by his spirit using within us in our conscience to bring us to repent, turn to him in faith, trust, 
you know, in a, in a new way of living. But also when it comes to things that are gray areas, I think that's kind of the second big thing that conscience does. Things that we, we don't know from scripture are sinful or not sinful. It's not black and white. That's where the conscience comes in, in ways that I think we've probably all experienced in the mm-hmm. church with things like uh, maybe drinking or tattoos or, you know, what types of cars you should buy. I mean, lots of different things people could have a conscience over. So many things. Can, can you wear a hat in church? Right. Uh, I mean, that's simple, but we've we've had that before. Um, you know, people who've grown up under KJV only yep. and um, how many instruments can you use and... <laughs> right. The list could go on and on of what we would call conscience issues. Yes. And so I think the big thing is when we approach those, when we're trying to figure out, is my conscience really aligned with what's right? We need to always be testing it against scripture, of course, but in the areas where, you know, scripture isn't as clear, we do need to have a humility in our conscience and, and able to understand that we are often wrong. We're not always, the conscience is not always the, the perfect guide when it comes to the, the gray stuff. Yeah, that's so good. Sometimes we call it preference. Mm-hmm. It, it can be your preference or it can be something that you're free to do. Uh, and you can't bind others' consciences with that. You can't take a preference or something that's not clear and make it law. Right. Um, that's sometimes what the fundamentalist get accused of is raising a tradition or preference to the point of doctrine. And it's not, I want to say, it's not just the fundamentalist, however you categorize that word. I've seen it done in all sectors Mm -hmm. where people take preferences and elevate them to the point of doctrine and bind people's consciences on that. And uh, we do have to be careful. Right. Absolutely. A good example is probably Acts 10, where Peter has the vision of, you know, the animals coming down on the sheet. Mm -hmm. And according to what God had said in the past, Peter was saying, I've never eaten these animals. And God is now telling him, take and eat. And it's just, I think, an example for us where, you know, of course, in, in, you know, as a very unique thing in salvation history of what God did, but oftentimes our consciences really do need recalibration, realignment, and we, I think the thing is, is that we really need the body of believers to be guided in what our consciences should feel strongly and what they should not feel as strongly about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got, let's just use ills. You've got law mm-hmm. issues and you've got liberty issues. Yeah. So we're going to say law issues are things that are clearly given in scripture. So if someone comes up to you and says, you know, I just feel like God released me from my marriage. Like, you know, I just have a peace about that. What they're saying is, in my conscience, I've gotten to a point to where I, I don't have to stay married to this guy. And, you know, we're assuming in this illustration that there aren't any sinful reasons for divorce, divorce going on. Yeah. I just want out. Well, the body of believers needs to step in and yeah. say, no, the Bible says this. Right. And, and you're searing your conscience hmm. in order to have what you want. And uh, But at other times, you know, someone is coming and saying, you know, I have peace or freedom with watching this movie. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you, you referenced drinking earlier because that can be uh, one of those issues that's not as clear. Yep. 
you know, someone may say, I, I have a clear conscience on drinking one glass of wine at night. Mm-hmm. You know, we just can't go to a text and say, thus saith the Lord. Yeah. And as much as we might want to, because maybe something in our past really um, hurt us or pained us or you've been deeply affected by it, but we have to kind of, you know, receive counsel from one another and let let other strong Christians guide us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's so many issues here, but maybe it'd be helpful to uh, just ask you how you might approach a, a conversation. So in my life, I've had two different types of voices tell me about what pastors should wear in church. Uh, and it's just kind of an interesting conversation. On one hand, uh, you know, there's a, a great brother who I grew up in in New Hampshire who would always say that pastors need to wear suits. It's just like you wouldn't go meet the president in anything else than a suit. You know, like if you want to show respect, wear a suit. And then I've had other people in my life who are like, you know, when pastors wear suits, it tells the congregation, like, I'm kind of above you. I'm taking this way too seriously. Like, I'm you know, I have like kind of a status that's above everybody else. And so, you know, which one of these is right? So say somebody came to you and they asked you like, why do you wear what you wear in church? How would you kind of go through that conversation about like a conscience issue to that level? I know it's not like a super serious deal, but, but maybe just like what kind of guardrails would, would be present for that conversation? Yeah. Good question. I think, first of all, we're going to think, is this a law issue? Yeah. So do we know somewhere clearly in Scripture where it says, thou shalt wear a suit? Yeah. And I, I didn't mean to be condescending in that, but is that in the Scripture? And I think all of us are going to agree, you're not going to find that. So it immediately becomes more of a wisdom, yep. prudence, liberty issue. Mm-hmm. So the driving principle of liberty issues is love. Yeah. Okay. So am I going to love myself or am I going to love others? And you can apply this to all the liberty issues. So I come to First Baptist Church, Lake Butler, where the pastor has worn a suit forever. Yeah. If I come in in slacks and a polo for Sunday, I'm probably going to offend half the congregation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just not loving. Yeah. I could take the posture of, uh, well, you know, they need to stop being traditionalist and get over it. That's just me loving myself. I want my way. I want it now. Yeah. Um, you, you may even have a good goal of maybe culture is changing in the biblical South and you need to transition towards that. But there would still be a wise and loving way to lead people in in liberties. So, yeah. And I think first. Uh, yeah. First Corinthians eight, um, Romans 14 would say, why would you cause your brother to st- stumble over a non-essential? Mm-hmm. If you know. That's exactly how I would look at that. Yeah, that's helpful. I think too, like in the just kind of younger generation, I'm just thinking of people like I went to Bible school and seminary with, there was a little bit of a push to like kind of flaunt Christian liberty. You know, like I I have freedom in the gospel and you can deal with it. And I think that's, while there is some biblical truth to it, I just think that there you know, that approach is ignoring the spirit of first Corinthians eight and in Romans 14 of Christian liberty is not about what I can get away with. Christian liberty is about how can I love my neighbor? Mm. What things can I have freedom in to do in my life to lay my, my choices down, my preferences down, my time down, my resources down to help those around me. And, you know, the, 
the issue of conscience, I just think so fits in with that in, you know, wanting to be the types of people that are caring and loving, who are helping the weak, you know, Mm -hmm. in like first Thessalonians and who are those who are trying to not just like bulldoze over other people's conviction, but really trying to help them come to an understanding by God's word of, of how he's called us to live. Mm-hmm. I, w- I want to hit a couple of things real quick. Number one, we've talked about alcohol a couple of times on the podcast, and I want to be very clear that all of us as pastors believe there are strong warnings mm-hmm. in the Bible about um, strong drink, wine, definitely drunkenness. So, so when we say it's a liberty issue, we don't want to say that there aren't clear admonitions Absolutely. concerning alcohol and the abuse of alcohol. Uh, we do think there are other texts that give space for that, mm-hmm. and it becomes a liberty issue. Now, taking that and maybe applying it to some of the younger generation, uh, who whether it was smoking cigars like Spurgeon did, or a pipe, <laughs> or you know having wine. You know, Paul came in as a strong brother in the faith, and and he just said, number one, it's not about if I can do it. Yeah. It's about will it master me? Mm. So it's not about a, a, per se a right or wrong thing. It's about number one, will it master me? And some of some of those people who have embraced those liberties too quickly and without principles, it did master them, mm. and and it did lead to um, bondage. Uh, Paul also said, will it edify? You know, it goes back to that loving principle. And, um, you you know, in the context that he's talking about, there were people who were eating meat sacrificed to idols. Well, there were people who had just come out of that lifestyle of idolatry that involved, you know, gross sexual immorality. And they can't even picture themselves eating something that had been in that setting you know, that, that just destroyed their conscience. Yeah. And if the person on the other side of the table was like, dude, you need to grow up, mm-hmm. like eat the meat. It's, he's like, you know, why don't you just be the strong Christian and say, I, I would never do something that would put you through that. Yeah. And I'll add one more little, little thing is I will look at something like the King James version only. Um, you, you know, people's consciences have been bound yeah. that this is the law. And I don't see it that way. I believe that the original manuscripts were inspired, infallible, inerrant, and they have been translated down through the ages. Um, and so I'm okay with other good translations. But if I'm going to a church where they preach King James Version only, I, I'm not going and going to say, well, you know, I'm going to preach in my out, out of the version I use or I'm not coming. Yeah. That's just foolish. That's a good example. Yeah. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to submit and I'm going to you know, preach out of the King James only and not make a point out of it. Now, if I'm pastoring someone right. and they believe that way, then I'm going to take my time with them and at some point probably press them into maturity. So we're saying that when it comes to these conscience issues, there is a a wisdom in the things we know are often debated of, I think, having a a posture of caring for other people before yourself in that I think there's wisdom in, you know, if your conscience allows you to have alcohol, not doing it in lots of public settings, Mm -hmm. things like that, where we understand, I, I was talking to a dear brother in our church, like 
alcohol was such a big part of his life without Christ that he, he just doesn't even want to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense to me, like that it's so associated with the, the life that he had that was lost and against God, that it's, it's just something that he will avoid. And so I think that the rule of love just needs to, you know, always be pervasive in how we approach these conscience issues. Yeah. And the stronger that you want to be in binding someone else's conscience, and that means you're telling them that this is right and wrong. Yeah. As a Christian brother from the or sister from the scripture, um, you better make sure right. that's what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Or you're unnecessarily binding someone's conscience and let's see if I can transition into this, but but you can traumatize people. Mm. I mean, you can really put people in some serious bondage if you make law what God has not made law. And, um, you know, I already, what you wear, what you listen to, things you can and can't do, um, a sensitive conscience person. And what I mean by that is, is there are people who in their wiring, in their disposition, the way God's made them, they're just super sensitive. And by the way, I love people like that because anything that you say as a pastor from the word, they're like the first to the altar. They're the first to raise their hand. They're yeah. they're the first to repent. Yeah. And and a lot of times they're your best members in the church, mm. but they can easily get swept into bondage because man, so-and-so said this was law mm-hmm. and then it's not, you know, or they're finding out that it's not, but they can't get free from it. Right. You know, like, you know, I still have to wear a dress to church. I I mean, though I feel like Mm -hmm. everybody, oh yeah, I feel like it's okay. But I've just told for so many years, you know, not to wear that which pertaineth to a man or, you know, maybe your child's wanting to get a, a tattoo and you've just been told your whole life that, you know, the Bible says that you can't have any markings. Mm-hmm. And I, just a quick side note on that. Well, the, the place that you find that, it also says you can't shave the corner of your beard. Right. I think a lot of folks are doing that. And, um, you know, in the same context of civil law there too, you, you can't wear mixed fabrics. And so these people, their conscience was bound yeah. by something that was taken out of context and and now they, they may grieve before the Lord that their child is rebelling against God unnecessarily. And that's why I say, if you're going to bind someone's conscience, you better make sure that it's from the word. And then let's add that it's in context in the word. Right. Because a lot of these examples come from interpretations of scripture. Mm-hmm. And so... That's why how we approach the Bible is just so important. And, you know, for all the listeners, just as pastors, this is why we pray so much about how we teach and how we preach God's word. It is not a light thing to say, this is what God says. This is what God has for you today. And it is, it is just, you know, one of those areas, even in my own life from studying interpretation for so long within academics, just when it comes to the church, it's like, this is, this is real life. This is where people are actually making decisions and their consciences are 
by God's spirit going to align with his word. And so how we approach and give God's word is just so, so important. So we need to study it. We need to be people like Ezekiel and Isaiah and, you know, those, those ones in Ezra who gave himself to study the law of God and, and to know it with, with all his might, that needs to be our posture. Which I would want to add, this is why we believe expositional preaching is so important Mm -hmm. so that we help our people to see God's word in its proper context. Yeah. So if, here's just a question, if somebody in the church that you, you know, you're a member of and, and you are, you know, covenanted to somebody else and you see maybe through social media or maybe you hear about them doing something that is not against law, Okay, so we've talked about law. We've we've said law and then liberty, that it's more in how your conscience would say, this, of course, isn't what's directly stated in the Bible, but I have a pretty strong opinion about what you should and shouldn't do in this situation. How would you go about just having that type of conversation? Did we kind of already answer that? I'm just thinking like, I want us to think through when we don't agree in those kind of gray areas. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start with... The people that I am in closest relationship with is going to get the most of my time. Yeah. So I'm 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 going to be most likely to influence someone who I already have relationship with. Right. And I don't know if you're asking that exactly or not, but just being being a steward and discipling the people that I can disciple. A lot of times I feel like it's just a wisdom issue mm-hmm. and you need to have a little bit of relationship to be able to have the conversation. But secondly, if I were just trying to encourage a brother, I think that I would just want to come with humility. I would want to ask mm-hmm. instead of coming to the table and telling, Right. you know, hey, tell me what you believe about this or why you believe that. And, you know, I might get enlightened mm-hmm. and then seek to just have an open discussion and trust that the spirit will, you know, sanctify his people. Yeah. Maturest people. That's good. That's helpful. Well, thank you. Are there any other things you wanted to hit? Maybe, maybe a, a couple. One. Let's let's do one. Okay. What if, what if the conscience is has been defiled? And, you know, a a believer is um, feeling they've done wrongly. Mm-hmm. There's guilt either towards God or towards man. How does someone clear their conscience? And how important? I'll add to that. How important is it that they do it? Yeah. I think it's very important because of the way the Bible talks about having a clear conscience and that it is a gift that aligns with our status of being in Christ and renewed by him. But being able to tell the difference between God's voice and our own voice, that could be under spiritual attack. I mean, a lot of different things that could be going on there, I think needs to be done in community is, is you know, I think one of the ways I would say it mm. in, in that we are going to God in prayer about it. We're going to God in his word. We're also going to other believers that are wise and trusted and saying, this is how I'm feeling about this thing. Is it right? Should I be this way? Why, you know, why would I have these thoughts inside in this particular situation? But I'm sure you have other things you'd add to that. We might go long if I, if I open this part. <laughs> But I'm just thinking, in a lot of what you were saying, we talked about communion before before the podcast started. Yeah. And we, we just talked about how we, we, have, we have seen where so much emphasis was placed on 
examination in communion mm. that that people constantly felt defiled. Like there's no way I can be good enough, mm-hmm. confess enough to to be able to participate in communion. Uh, did I cover everything? And and where I'm trying to go with this is um, their conscience is feeling defiled because so much emphasis was being placed on examine, examine. Mm-hmm. You know, their conscience isn't free even to take communion. And, you know, we want to be able to free that defiled conscience and say, actually, what we're celebrating is that through the death of Christ, his brokenness and his blood, we as sinners who come short are actually able to come to the table. And I want to point out that truth made that conscience free and someone speaking the truth into their life made their conscience free. Mm. So I want to hit on if you're struggling with your conscience feeling defiled, that's how one truth and then two truth coming from an outside voice in community can help you be free and you know, apply that to multiple areas of your life. And you did reference something about, okay, sometimes I know when I've messed up. Mm-hmm. It's clear. Um, it's a commandment. I've done it before. It's been a besetting sin. Let me just encourage you. One, you go and you glory in the gospel. It, even if it's the hundredth time, mm-hmm. that that makes his atonement even sweeter, that God, you loved me knowing I would do this. Confess, forsake by the power of the Spirit, and receive a clear conscience again to the glory of God. And by the way, if you don't, here's what's going to happen. When you try to fellowship, and we're talking about a, a clear, as David would say, I regard iniquity. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Yeah. Like, I know I'm doing it. I'm not repenting of it. Every time you go to fellowship with God, your conscience is going to go off. Yeah. And you're going to know it. You've got to get that clear. And that comes through confession and repentance. Mm. But here's a tricky one that you referenced this other voice. Uh, we might term it satanic accusation. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I did anything wrong, but maybe. You know, so-and-so said I was wrong, and then, boy, the enemy takes that, and he just pounds you. And you just constantly are in this turmoil of, I feel guilty. I I need to do something to make it right. And maybe you do this and do that, and you said, I'm sorry, a hundred times, but you're just not getting free. I I would just want to encourage you that you may be dealing with what, what we call satanic accusation. And the way I would encourage you to discern that is... I believe that the Spirit of God is redemptive and that if He calls you to repentance, He doesn't want you wondering if you did anything wrong. He's going to reprove you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's right. And He wants to call you back into relationship with the Father. When you feel like there's nothing clear, it's just muddy and cloudy, and I just stay in this state of uncertainty, I would liken that more to... Satan is attacking me and and just keeping my conscience defiled. And no matter how much confession or no matter what I do, I never feel redeemed or free or clear. Um, And you can find a lot of help by saying, you know what? If God wants me to know 
that I did something wrong through his word and through his community. He will use that to tell me. Otherwise, I'm letting it go and moving on in fellowship with God and his people. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's some great advice. And, you know, we do really pray that this is helpful to you. We want to speak truth and know it from God's word. And that's really the goal of this podcast, to just give another outlet for us to talk about how um, we're understanding the Bible and how it plays out in our lives. So thanks for listening to this episode of the first podcast until next time for your joy and God's glory. Thank you.